Thanks. Thank you, guys. Hey, before I get started, I need to get something off my chest. Is that all right with you guys? Can I do that? Can I use this as like a kind of weird confession time, like some weird uh, counseling appointment where I'm sitting down with uh, like a couple hundred counselors? Um, Well, hey, so we are going to be talking about anger today um, and and what we do with our anger and how to handle anger and I was going to share a story as, as, the, uh, as my kind of opening story about how <clears throat> when I was young, I used to have a temper and uh, I've, how I've worked through it over the years. And yesterday, as I was on my way to preach, um, I was driving 36, 37. I was on like the other side of the highway where it's 60 miles per hour. And I pull up and there's two cars uh, in both lanes and they're both going about 40 miles per hour. And I was like, you know, stuck behind both of these cars who are not going the speed limit. And I feel some anger start bubbling up inside of me. And I'm like, okay, come on. You're preaching about anger. Get it under control. And they just, they, they, neither of one will get over. And I'm just, I feel it bubbling up. And I start kind of hitting my steering wheel and saying, come on, let's go. And getting angrier and angrier, and I felt like the Lord in that moment said, hey, maybe not talk about anger as a thing that you've worked through. (laughs) (laughs) That anger is still an issue in your life, and it's true. Anger is still an issue in my life. I still get angry about things, sometimes silly things, and sometimes serious things, but anger is is a, a regular emotion that I feel in my life, and that is a that I would say is an issue in my life, and I, and I really believe that anger is probably an issue for most of us, that most of us in, in one way or another deal with anger. Um, some of us would say that we have an anger problem, that we, we, we explode, it turns into violence or rage or screaming, and it's explosive. And, and some of us, when we get angry, we, we get like vindictive and sharp and sarcastic, and we, we hurt people with the words we say in our anger. Others, uh, we get cynical our, 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 our anger causes us to, you know, push people away or to, to, to move away from people. Sometimes anger, for some of us, can turn inward. Oftentimes I see anger become something that turns into self-hatred, that we begin to be so angry at ourselves that things like self-harm and, 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 and depression and things start happening. And, and you may be sitting here and you're saying, I don't. I don't have a problem with anger. I don't, I don't really get angry. And I would say that if that's you, that you actually probably do have an anger problem. And your problem with anger is probably that you stuff it, that you don't acknowledge your anger or that you don't allow yourself to get angry. Because what we'll talk about a little later are there, there are things that should make us angry. And that anger is a God-given emotion. And when we stuff our anger, it turns into bitterness, and it turns into resentment, and it turns into judgments that we make on people. But anger is a powerful emotion. 
It is a very powerful emotion. And and as we continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount and where Jesus helped us redefine the way that we look at life, he took a chunk of it to talk about anger because Jesus understood that anger is a a thing that can, can destroy people, can blow up people's lives. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. And if you need a Bible, we have them on the stage and on the sound booth. Uh, We'll also have the verses up on the screens as well, but you can feel free. If you don't have a Bible at home, please, please take one home with you. But let's just pray, and then we'll just jump in and see what Jesus has to say about anger. So Jesus, we invite you here. Lord, I ask that you would come and and be with us this morning. That you would be real and that we would have a real encounter with you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start, like I said, chapter 5, verse 21. And Jesus, just as a reminder, has pulled his disciples aside and is teaching his disciples about life. And, and, and he's you know, talking about what it looks like to be a follower of, of, of him. And then he says this. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. All right, so let's stop. Jesus is pulling out the big guns here. He's starting big. He's starting with murder, right? And you might be thinking, okay, if Jesus wants to talk about anger, why is he starting with murder? That seems like maybe like he should start off with something small, but I think, I think he's doing something incredibly smart here by starting with murder. He's trying to set this foundation that everybody can agree on. He's building this case. He's setting this foundation that says, we can all agree that murder is wrong, right? And even today, we could probably agree on that. Our culture can't agree on much, but we could probably agree that murder is wrong. We live in a culture that says morality is incredibly subjective. That what's wrong for you might not be wrong for me, and what's right for you might not be right for me. And and I I would I would submit that uh, it's it, it morality is a little bit more objective than our culture. Uh, likes to say it is because we have these things like murder that we would say, no, that is objectively wrong. That murder is wrong. When we see the recent shootings in El Paso and, and Dayton, we, we look at those things and, and there's something that, that just clicks in us that we just know that that's not the way it should be. That that is wrong. And as that conversation continues, we might disagree on issues of gun control and mental health and all different kinds of things, but we can start with the foundation that we agree that the murders, that that was a, tra- a, a travesty and a tragedy. And Jesus starts there. He says that murder is wrong. And actually, it's actually not, that's not a great translation because Jesus actually doesn't say murder here. He says killing. He says, if you kill, you will come under judgment. 
That's what he's saying. He says, you will come under judgment if you kill. And what he's trying to say is that people will be held accountable for what they do. That if you kill someone, there is a judge who is sitting on the throne who will say if if that killing was justified or not. He's saying God is a judge and he will hold people accountable. And so you've heard it said that if you kill, you will be held accountable. So we're setting that foundation and let's read on to see where he goes from there. It says, verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, rakah, is, answered, is answerable to the court. By the way, rakah just means empty. It was like basically calling someone an airhead, like you don't have a brain. He says, anyone who says rakah is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? I think Jesus is trying to make a few points here. The first thing I think he's trying to get across is is something that Michael hit on last week. It's the idea that that, uh, if we avoid these big moral failures, like if we're able to like follow the Ten Commandments and you know not murder and not steal and do those, if we avoid those big things, that we're still not off the hook that there's still brokenness inside of us, that it's not just if we avoid these big moral failures, but there are heart issues too. And I think one of the points that Jesus is trying to make in the Sermon on the Mount is is really for us to be able to see that we are broken individuals in need of a Savior. Like he's not trying to, 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 see, to let us see how broken we are so we you know, start following more and more rules. He's trying to see, let us see that we are broken and we are in need of a savior. And no matter how hard we try, we can never measure up. That we are all broken, every single one of us. We are all guilty and this is so foundational to what we believe. And, and, and you may have heard this a million times, or this may be your first time hearing it this morning, but I just would ask you to let this sink in for a moment, because I, I just think, for, at least for me, I don't think I fully have grasped that reality. And it's the reality that, that our ability to come into a relationship with God and to receive you know, all of the benefits that he has, like his love and, and eternal life and, and a peace that transcends understanding. Our ability to, to receive those things is not dependent on our ability to, to follow the rules. To receive what God has for us is not dependent on our ability to be obedient or what we do or what we don't do. It's completely dependent on what Jesus did on the cross and our willingness to receive it. So Jesus is not trying to give us this new moral teaching. He is trying to understand that we are broken in need of a Savior. And that's the gospel. 
The good news is that we have a savior. We have a God who, who came to earth to rescue us. Tim Keller would put it like this. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are far more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. There's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in us realizing that in our brokenness, in our despair, that we are so loved and that we, we can't measure up and we don't have to measure up. That Jesus measured up for us. And so again, Jesus' purpose in the Sermon on the Mount is not to give us more rules. He is trying to get us to realize we need a Savior. But in saying that, I also believe that Jesus is trying to get us to understand the seriousness of those internal things like anger. I think in this, he's trying to get us to understand that anger is a serious issue. And now notice, in that verse, Jesus doesn't say that anger is a sin. And he doesn't say that anger is wrong. But what he does say is those who are angry are subject to judgment. So what does that mean? It means that just like with, with killing, that Jesus is going to judge whether or not your anger was justified or not. Or whether it was misplaced. Or, or, or we will be judged by what we did in our anger. But anger in and of itself isn't wrong. In fact, anger is a God-given emotion. Anger is something that God designed us to have. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, and oftentimes we think of the Old Testament is where God was angry, and then the New Testament, he like got in a good mood, but that's not the truth. Jesus, in the New Testament, got angry multiple times. There were things that angered Jesus. And in religious circles, uh, we often refer to that kind of anger as righteous anger. That there is this righteous anger but there is also unrighteous anger. And so what's the difference between the two? What's the anger that is righteous, that's God-given, and what's the anger that's not of God? Well, well, righteous anger is this. I believe that anger should be the natural reaction to things like injustice. Anger should be the natural reaction we have to things like sin and evil and death. Those things should make us angry. When we hear stories or when we witness acts of racism, that should make us angry. It should anger us. When we hear of stories of little girls being sold into the sex trade, that should anger us. When we hear of stories or the, 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 the tragedies that happened in El Paso and Dayton, that should, that should make us angry. 
And do you know when, when a loved one dies, a natural part of the grieving process is anger. Part of the natural uh, grieving process to when we lose a loved one is, is anger. And it's, that's not a bad thing. In fact, if we look at John chapter 11, Jesus loses a loved one. He loses one of his closest friends, Lazarus. And if you read the story, it says that Jesus was angry. That Jesus was angered by it. So then what is unrighteous anger? Well, unrighteous anger is anger that stems, that it's, at the root of it is things like selfishness and, and pride and ambition and, uh, you know, all those kind of things. Insecurity. Let me give you some examples. So when you are at a uh, restaurant and your, uh, your, your plate comes out and it wasn't what you ordered, and you're like, I said no tomatoes. That's not righteous anger. When you are in line at the DMV and you're like, this is the most inefficient place and why is this taking so long and I have places to go, that's not righteous anger. When you're driving on 3637 and there's two cars who won't go the speed limit, that's not, that's not righteous anger. I'm telling on myself here. When you're on an airplane and you're like, why is there a crying baby right next to me? That's not righteous anger. That is unrighteous anger. Or unrighteous anger could be an anger that's misplaced. That maybe there was an offense that you received at some time in your life, but someone else is catching the brunt of that offense. Let me give you an example. I hear about this so often. This is so common in people's lives that, that you know, they are so angry at their wife. And they are just, there's so much anger directed towards their wife. But when you begin to dig a little bit, you realize that they're not angry at their wife. They're angry at their mom who is overly critical and verbally abusive. But their wife is catching the brunt of that. That is unrighteous anger. This happens to me all the time. Where I realize like me and my wife will be fighting over something and uh, when we're smart, we, we try to do this, is we try to stop in the middle of the argument and say, what are we really fighting about? Because it's probably not the dishes. Don't you find that to be true? Sometimes when you're, when you're in an argument, there's something underneath what you're actually fighting about. But that's unrighteous anger when someone else is receiving the anger that was, that was from something way deeper. And if anger, if righteous anger is rooted in the desire for justice 
and to see things be made right. Unrighteous anger would be things that are meant to hurt or that are meant to uh, retaliate or meant to divide or meant to bring people down. This is why I believe Jesus uses the example where he says, you know, if you say, Raka, or you fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. He said, this is a big deal. That if your anger leads to, to insult or, or to hurt or to attack, that is not righteous anger. The anger should look to make things right the way that God intended them to be and not to bring people down. But I think Jesus is really serious about the, the, the words that we speak, even, even the thoughts that we think about other people. That if we think things or speak things like you're an idiot or you're a fool or you, you are this or you are that, what that is doing is dehumanizing them. See, see that, that person that we, we, we are thinking that thing about was, was a human being that was made in the image of God and is deeply loved by God. And that God says, is a son, is my daughter, and I love them. And so when we speak these labels over them that, that are degrading or, or, or insulting, that is not from God. That is unrighteous anger. And so sometimes, even righteous anger can cause us to do unrighteous things. Even when we're angry for the right reasons, sometimes it leads us to do uh, the wrong things. Because anger is extremely powerful. And so let me just stop for a moment and just give us a time to just reflect for a moment and to think, what is it that makes you angry? Or who is it that makes you angry? Do you get angry when you look at a political post that is uh, different than something that you believe? Do you get angry when someone is wasting your time? What is it that makes us angry? And some of the things that makes us, make us angry should make us angry. They are, they, are, they are things that are injustice and evil. But J James says this in, in, in his book in chapter one. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So James is trying to get the point across that, that, that be, be slow with your anger because even righteous anger can lead to bad things and all human anger leads to bad things. And so be slow to speak and slow with your anger you know, before you, you just let it blurt out, be slow. And so here's the good news. 
is that Jesus doesn't just say, don't get angry for, for the wrong reasons. He actually gives us some really practical tools to deal with our anger. He doesn't just throw us out there and say, don't be angry. He says, no, I want to equip you to deal with your anger. Because he knows that anger can be such a destructive thing. And the thing that we can do is we can go to God and we can actually make exchanges. We can say, God, I have this anger. I have this thing that I am hurt by or this thing that I'm just so frustrated by, but I, I, I don't want it anymore. I want to give it to you. And I want what you have in return. We can make an exchange with them. My dad would oftentimes share this story about his grandfather. And my, my dad lived in Long Island and, and uh, his grandfather lived in the city. And, and when his grandfather would come to visit, he would take the train in and they would always have this tradition where my grandfather would say, hey, I'll trade you what's in your pocket for what's in my pocket. My dad would reach into his pocket and pull out like a candy wrapper or some lint. Say, here you go. And, and his grandfather would reach into his pocket and pull out, you know, some money or a toy. And we can do that with our Heavenly Father, too. We can say, God, I have this junk that I don't want. Can I, can I have that, the good thing that you have? Can I, have the, can I exchange the, the garbage that I'm carrying around with the, the, the beautiful things that you have? So we make an exchange. And the way we do that is with really these two simple tools. It's with forgiveness and repentance. We can make exchanges with God through forgiveness and repentance. And, 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 and forgiveness is this. In Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That we forgive because we have been forgiven. And there's this, this correlation that we'll, we'll probably get into in the coming weeks of, of the way that we forgive is, is, is in direct correlation to the way that we are forgiven. But we forgive because we have been forgiven. And, and, and forgiveness, I say it's a simple tool, but it's actually, it's simple to talk about, but it's actually sometimes really difficult to do. It's, it, is, it is one of the hardest things that I've had to do in my life is to forgive people who have hurt me. And I think one of the reasons that it's, it's difficult to do is because I think we have, or at least I have, a lot of misconceptions oftentimes about what forgiveness is. Like oftentimes we think of forgiveness as saying, no big deal. Don't worry about it. No sweat. We feel like forgiveness is saying, yeah, like what that person did doesn't really matter. It's okay. Just move on. That, that's not what forgiveness is. 
Forgiveness isn't saying that what happened to you or the hurt that you experienced or the trauma that you went through um, or the offense that happened to you wasn't a big deal. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me say it like this. I understand that many of the folks here, many of you guys, you have gone through some really evil things, that horrible things have happened to you and, and that have hurt deeply. And people have said things to you, done things to you that are unspeakable. And first of all, I just want to say, I am so sorry. And, and I want you to hear that forgiveness is not saying that that thing didn't matter. And it's not even to say that you forget about that thing. Forgiveness is actually saying, God, I don't want to live under the burden of that offense any longer. Because I'm not equipped to deal with it, but I believe that you are. That God, I believe that you are the judge and that you are going to hold that person accountable. And that you will deal with it the way that it needs to be dealt with. I trust you, God. I, I give it to you. It's really, forgiveness, is, it, does, it actually doesn't have a lot to do with the person that you're forgiving. It has a little bit to do with them, but you don't, need, you don't even need them to forgive them. It's, it's mostly between you and God. It's saying, God, I want to get out from underneath the weight of this offense, of this sin. Oftentimes, I know that I, I struggle to forgive because I feel like if I, if I don't let go of this thing, then somehow this person, like if I let go of this thing, then that means this person is off the hook. And I, I, I need them to be held responsible. I want them to be punished or I want, you know, I want them to be on the hook for this offense. But actually, most of the time, what ends up happening is that actually ends up hurting us more than that person. It begins to do things inside of us that are really unhealthy and really damaging. Nelson Mandela, who has gone through horrible offenses, says that, that resentment, like unforgiveness... Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. See, when we fail to forgive, it will emotionally and spiritually wreck us. And what forgiveness does when we say, God, can you deal with this? It, it, it frees us. It brings us freedom. There is, there is a person in my life who uh, really, really hurt me. I won't, I won't get into it, but they, they really, really hurt me in some really deep and serious ways. And, and I carried unforgiveness for years. And it actually wasn't until relatively recently that I was working with a, with a, a spiritual director and, and, and learning how to forgive this person. It was a process. But when, when I worked through this process of forgiveness, I'll tell you what, guys, it felt like you know, a million pounds was lifted off my shoulders. 
And it wasn't saying that the person's offense wasn't real or serious. It was just saying, God, you deal with it. And typically, forgiveness is a process. It's ongoing. We choose to forgive over and over again. We, oftentimes what happens is I'll forgive this person and then I'll, you know, the next day kind of take it back. <laughs> say, well, and we have to give it back over to the Lord and say, oh, you take it, I, w- I want what you have. Martin Luther King says, forgiveness is not an occasional act, it is a constant attitude. And we, we, we regularly just have to take this posture of forgiveness. Lord, I give it to you. Lord, I give you this offense. I want, I want what you have. And we don't leave the exchange empty-handed. We don't just give it to him. We receive what he has for us. Just like my dad didn't reach into his pocket and give him the candy wrapper, he received what his grandfather had too. And, 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 and in the Lord's presence, there's healing, there's grace, there's peace, there's all kinds of things that, that help us. And what happens is when we constantly, and we, we take this, this, this posture of forgiveness and we do it over and over again, things begin to change inside of us. Do you know that actually they say that, that people who are take a posture of forgiveness and, 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 and choose to forgive, it actually begins to change the neural pathways in your brain. It can actually physically change the chemistry, your brain chemistry as well. So forgiveness, it, it physically and psychologically changes us, but it also spiritually changes us as well. That God does the supernatural exchange. When we, when we choose to forgive. But we're also called to repent as well. We have this awesome tool to repent. And repentance works really similarly, but, but, but repentance is when we have sinned. Or maybe we've had a sinful response to someone else's sin. And we, we repent. And repentance, really, it's a super you know, religious word, but really all it means is to turn and to, to change our mind and to say, I don't, I don't want to think those things anymore. I want to think these things. So God, I think these things. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to think or say these slanderous things anymore. I don't want to gossip about this person anymore. I, I repent. I turn to you. And I exchange it. I give it to you and I receive what you have. We make an exchange. And really, let me just say, making these exchanges is the way we, we really deal with all of our junk. Like all the sin in our life, we say, God, I repent. God, I, 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 I don't want this. I want what you have. And we regularly do that. Okay, let's keep on reading. We're gonna finish off with this last, this last point. Verse 23, Jesus says, he's talking about murder and the pain and and the anger. And then he says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift. So did, did you guys catch what Jesus did here? 
I think, I think this was really, really smart. Jesus is a really smart guy. And I've never noticed this. But he starts with murder. He starts with, hey, we all agree that murder's bad, right? We all agree. And then he's like, and you know, you, you've been hurt. And there's, this, you, there's anger, right? And we're like, yeah, yeah, that's true. And he says, now, therefore, you go and make things right with the people that you have hurt. He realizes that most of us, not all of us, but most of us, we can give you the list of people that we have hurt or that have hurt us. But we may not think about the people that we have hurt. And so Jesus says, make things right, reconcile with, with those that you have wronged. Sneaky, Jesus. And it's so important that we do that. It's so important that Jesus says, before you come and worship, before you give your offering, before we worship God, we need to make things right with those we have hurt. I think that's incredibly significant. That somehow our horizontal relationships directly affect our vertical relationship with God. How we treat each other is really important to God. Amos chapter five, listen to what God says here to the, to the, the Israelites. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. What is God saying here? Is he saying he doesn't like you know, religious ceremonies and he doesn't like worship songs? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if, if you're not caring for the poor, if you're not caring about issues of justice and taking care of those who are broken and hurt among you, and you're not reconciling with people, then I don't care much about your worship songs. That somehow, let me say it like this. The way we do those things is actually a true form of worship. And the songs that we sing, these gatherings that we have, is the outflowing of that stuff. But that's where worship starts. That's true worship is when we are loving one another, caring for the people that God made, doing the things that God has asked us to do. And this was the mission of Jesus. If we look at Jesus's life on earth, this is what he was constantly doing, reconciling people. He would go to the leper who had been pushed away, who had been pushed into a, a leper colony and, 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 and exiled and saying, say, say, be reconciled, be reconciled. He would go to the tax collector who was looked at as the, the, the traitor to the Jewish people. He would go to them and say, be reconciled. He would go to the people who were the sinners of the day and, 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 you know, the prostitute and say, come, be reconciled. He had a ministry of reconciliation and we have been reconciled to him even in our sin, even in our brokenness. We have been reconciled to him. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, and the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus is saying, my business is now your business. My ministry of reconciliation is your ministry of reconciliation now, that we are to go to the people who have been exiled, go to the people who have been pushed away and say, be reconciled. You are welcome, you are loved. What better place to start is with the people that we have maybe pushed away, with the people that we have hurt. that we could go to the people that we have wronged and say, I am sorry, would you forgive me? That we could be humble enough maybe to even not win the argument. Even if we feel like, man, I wasn't really wrong in that situation. That we could lay down our pride, lay down our ego, and just say, I am sorry, would you forgive me? Every wedding that I do, I I challenge the bride and groom in this, and I say, you know what's far more important than being right? Being one. Being being united, unity. And so we would lay down our, our right to be right. That we could go to our neighbors and say, hey, I'm really sorry that I parked too close to your driveway. And even though we feel like it's silly, we can say, I'm really sorry, would you forgive me? And we could go to our coworkers and say, hey, I'm really sorry, I was, I was short with you yesterday. We could go to our children. A couple weeks ago, my daughter, Olive, I was, I was, I was preaching uh, this weekend, and I was, it was Saturday night, and she just kept on coming and waking me up for, like, ridiculous things. Like, hey, Dad, can I play on your iPad? Like, no, sweetie, go to bed. Hey, Dad, can, can I have some popcorn? No, baby, go to bed. It's like three in the morning. She kept on doing it over and over again, and then all of a sudden, I just lost it. And I, like, screamed at her. I said, go to bed. She ran into her room. And immediately I felt, oh, you, you lost control. You responded in anger. So I, I got up and walked into her bedroom, laid down with her. And she was kind of like off to the, the corner of her bed. And I said, hey, baby, daddy shouldn't have yelled at you. I'm sorry. And the moment I said, I'm sorry, she just started to bawl. She started to cry. And she said, daddy, you were mean. I said, yeah. Daddy was mean. Daddy was mean. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And she said, I forgive you. And see, immediately I felt like such a failure as a dad, but I felt like the Lord said, no, this was such a really good thing that just happened. That you're teaching your daughter that everyone's going to blow it, and that when you blow it, you ask for forgiveness. Even if you're in a position of power, even if you're uh, you're someone's boss, even if you're, you know, 
the father and they're the child. You ask for forgiveness when you have wronged someone. I just want to end with this final, final thought. Paul says in, in, in the book of Romans, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, leave, live at peace with everyone. And so I know even in talking about this kind of stuff, um, there are people here who might be kind of like, well, I, I can't do that. I can't reconcile with that person. Like they won't talk to me. Or, or I can't reconcile with that person because that person is dangerous. Like that person will hurt me. Or I can't reconcile with that person because maybe that person is even no longer with us. That's why Paul says, as far as it depends on you, if you are able, then make things right. Reconcile. But I just want to acknowledge there are certain people that we, we, we shouldn't allow back into our lives, that that can be, that can be dangerous at times, or, or sometimes we're unable to do it. But what a beautiful opportunity we have to be ambassadors of reconciliation to be people who go and make things right. To be holders of the beautiful message of the gospel. And that we forgive because we have been forgiven. And we make things right because Jesus is a God who makes things right. And we want to be about our Father's business. And so why don't we stand? We're going to take a moment and just wait on the Lord. You know, if you're new here, uh, we just believe that God is speaking and God is an active God. And so we just want to take a moment as we kind of come to the end of the service just to hear if he wants to do something. And so let's just invite him to come and have his way. So Holy Spirit, would you come? I just, I, just, I just got a sense for a few things. One was I, I feel like there are some folks here who you, you, you know that you have an anger problem. And the Lord wants to minister to that. And the Lord wants to make an exchange with you here this morning. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward and receive prayer for that. And I know that that can be an awkward thing to come forward to. But I just ask you to be brave and, and just be humble and say, Lord, I need help with this. And two, I also got a sense, I had the same thing last night, but folks who have just gone through significant hurt, just really, really, really deep pain. And, and I got a picture this weekend 
of a little kid just being screamed at by a parent. And there, there is like some deep wounds that have happened to, to you when you were a kid by being screamed at. Maybe even further than that. And so I, I just feel like, you know, the Lord wants to begin a process of healing in that. And that might take a while, but he, be, he wants to begin that. Um, and then also, I just had a physical thing that, uh, I, I just got like, right as we stopped, there's, there's something that we call sympathetic pain. And I, right as we stopped to get silent, I got a pain in the right side of my neck. And I just wonder if there's someone here who has pain in the right side of their neck. Is, is that someone? Okay. I feel like the Lord might want to heal that. And then, Linda, did you have some? I do. Thanks, JT. Um, just a strong sense this morning several times and just wanted to share it with all of you. Um, JT's talking about the great exchange, right? Uh, it preaches really, really well, but it's more than that. The Lord really wants to move on that because the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus has come to give abundant life. Well, here's the kicker. The greatest thief, and if you can excuse me to say this, really is Jesus because he stole from death. Mm-hmm. Not only that, he stole from the enemy by disarming him, Colossians 2.13 says. And he also made a public spectacle of him, embarrassing him in front of all the heavenly host and us. So this morning, the Lord really wants you to know that The enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but he comes to give abundant life. What has been stolen from you? What has been destroyed? What in your life has been robbed from you? Papa's reaching in his hand because he has stole something back that's far greater than you could fathom, and he wants to give it to you right now this morning in this great exchange. There is something supernatural that the Holy Spirit is moving on. And some of you are thinking, oh, that sounds so good, and I really want to do that. But I can't think of anything right now. That's okay. Because when you leave here today and the Spirit reminds you, come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, in that moment, you say, Lord, what was spoken here, I want to do now. And you make that exchange then, and then you watch and see what he gives for you. It is going to be far greater than whatever was taken from you. Uh, please forgive me as I stammer and probably go too fast, but um, the Lord put it on my heart for those people who have parents that have like, walked out of their lives. Mm. And that's, he wants to release that burden. And part of that also was laid on me is those people have a hard time seeing God as a great father because they didn't, you know, that person wasn't in their life or their mother wasn't in their life. Mm-hmm. And I just come up for prayer. So Naomi's going to lead us in, in one last song, but I just want to encourage you, if any of those things you feel like apply to you, like if, if there are anger issues that you have, if there are hurts, uh, like Charles was saying, or like I said earlier from, from like parents, or, or if the right side of your neck, or if you have any need at all, physical, emotional, even just a practical need, and you would like prayer for it, we would be honored to be able to pray for you this morning. So as Naomi leads us in one last song, if you could make your way forward, we would, we would, be, we would love to pray for you. And if we could have guys, pray for guys and girls.